Vintage Sustainability, a podcast where Gordon and John look back at 25 years of sustainable buildings. So Gordon, if, if we're going to see this Lion House place, why don't you have a look at the some contemporary comments that was made in Naveen's case study and see what right. she yeah. said? So in Naveen's case study, um, she's saying the Lion House designed by Gibbon Architects, complete in 2008 in Alnick, evaluated under Briam, who was judged outstanding, which is a sort of classification. Uh -huh. It included a plethora of sustainable performance to aid the passive <laughs> solar designs, such as biomass boiler, integrated uh -huh. PV, evacuated yeah. tube solar thermal collectors. So three, quite unusual, that actually. Yeah, three 15 kilowatt wind turbines, enhanced thermal performance building fabric, mechanical ventilation with heat recovery, rainwater harvesting technology, low water consumption fittings. And then she says it's interesting to note that it was the wind turbines, arguably the most intrusive feature that attracted the most criticism and attention from the locals. And then it mm -hmm. says after its completion, the local community complained about the visual appearance of the wind turbines and expressed their disappointment that they stood idle in the landscape. That's from the Northumberland Gazette in 2012. Mm. So important it, building, but the wind turbines obviously created some sort of sort of. Well, it was before Cameron banned all wind turbines because of the planning mayhem and objections that there were, wasn't it? It's yeah. um, and the site is actually close to the run into Annick from the A1. So everybody would see them. You know, they're, yes. they're quite prominent, I imagine. Yes. So they're, they're, they're standing idle because of the, the technical failure was a pretty visible. Yes. Problem. Embarrassing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, well, let's go and have a look at the building anyhow. Good um, idea. And we're going to see Ben Pansy of Reheat. Oh, yes. Uh, and this is interesting. We're going to meet one of the tenants in the building. So originally the building wasn't, you know, for incoming tenants. It was all for DEFRA. And Ben's company, Reheat, dealing sort of sustainable and renewable technology, including biomass. So he makes oh, right. as an interesting tenant, really. Yeah, of course, because DEFRA occupied the whole building, but presumably down to sort of right-sizing, as it was called. They've vacated some of the building and sublet it to various tenants. Yeah, and we're going to find out about that, hopefully, a little bit from Ben. Are we off, John? We're off now. Let's go. Off, off to, to Alec. Here, here we go. To see Ben Tansy. He's happy to see us, talk a little bit about the building. Well, let's hope he's happy to see us when he's finished talking to us. Oh, well, we'll find out. It's <laughs> <laughs> conference room in Lionhouse and Alec, so... We're just having a look around, waiting on Ben. Yes, and we think the lights are automatic, aren't they? So yeah, the lights we can't, we can't, we can't, I don't think we need them on in the room, but I can't see any way of switching them off. No, but there might be. If we stay still long enough, not by themselves. <laughs> and one of the key things, really, perhaps to share with listeners, is that John Knight's first research was looking at the Briam label, the sustainable building label, and was it? effective and sort of publicizing good sustainable buildings did it drive people into better buildings you know it was meant to be a label 
you know, and identify the best buildings and hence be a marketing tool for the building. So that's one of the first questions we're going to ask Ben. And here's what he says. So I was aware, I was invited to the opening of this building oh. when, when DEFRA first moved into oh, it. Oh, right, nice. But you're going back now to a time when I think they, they envisaged that this building would be full and they were outsourcing. So if, if I remember, the culture at the time was to get central government away from, uh, sort of out into the provinces with employing people in different areas, big agricultural area. It made sense to have a DEFRA office up here because there was an awful lot of the concentration You'll, you'll know much more about this than me, but um, down at the time, one northeast down at Blade, yes. there was a concentration yeah. of government departments in and around that area, and so they, they, they there was this there was this feeling of opening up in the provinces, wasn't that? So this building came up, and, and I remember it being being built. <laughs> then the occupancy dropped, as far as I was aware. The uh, two thousand and eight hit, and every government department had to make all the cutbacks as I'm sure everybody's bitterly aware of by now and then the occupancy of this building just plummeted and the, the, I think there were, there were quite a few discussions this is just anecdotally what I know there were quite a few discussions around other departments moving in and using it as a shared facility with the national parks right. or with yeah. other people and it just never seemed to materialise so my business partner um, a few years ago, we outgrew the offices on the other side of the A1, and my business partner went around knocking on doors, and he found out who manages this property, and eventually got hold of somebody. It took quite a while, and um, we this came... was somebody in Defra or the. No, they had a they had an estate government estates. They had an estates department, and I think they out, maybe outsourced that because I think it was a private company that we were dealing with that just mm-hmm. managed right. all of Defra's property that they owned. Is it mighty? No, it's, no, well, they man- they're the facilities manager. Are they? But but there was um there was like a managing agent that that did leases and you know buying and selling them bits of land and what have you around them. But they, they managed all of Defra's estates. So we got hold of them, and we came and had a couple of you know tours around the building. And so yes, we 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 kind of we decided that it was for us. It's more in keeping with what what we do as a business. We're, we're yes, a sustainability it was. business. Absolutely, we're all about yeah. all about doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then we came in. We knew the biomass boiler wasn't working when we came in. Yes, and um, we sort of know why it wasn't working, but that again is anecdotal things. That well, that's, that, that'll do for the time. That'll do for the time. <laughs> um, so so we. We, it it we, did work originally. It did work originally, yeah. and it was commissioned, and it was up and yeah. running, and it was a local supplier only four or five miles away who had the heat supply or the fuel supply contract for it. There was there was some something went wrong, and with the boiler, um, and I don't know quite what happened, but it stopped it working. Now there's always been gas backup. That's I think in the plant room around the corner, and. Um, the, whatever happened, whether it was an incident or something stopped it from working. And we know the technical guy that was called out at the time, which is going about 15 years ago or something like that, who came out to do a technical review of the, the DEFRA building in Annick and the biomass boiler. And he did a bit of a review. Um, and I don't think it's worked since, to be honest. So when was that? Oh, crazy. 2013 or something? 10, at least, I want to say... More than 12 years ago, I would say. 
but I'm not quite sure. Okay, so did it actually emerge as to what the issue was? I don't know. No, I don't. I don't know whether he. He, he said he had difficulty working out what the issue was, whether it was an operator error, somebody had done something daft to the boiler itself. And um, do, you, do you think, Ben, it was so easy because there was a gas top-up to switch across the gas? Does. And yep. then any other journey with the existence behind yep. that was just people said, oh, yeah. let's just keep going with this. It, uh, That's how I expectation yeah. of what might happen. Yeah, completely right. Yeah. Um, and, and capital is a premium. I mean, a Binance boiler is 10 times the capital cost of a gas boiler. So you've got to have a really good reason and a really good driver to A, buy one in the first place, and B, to want to keep it running. So if you've got a failed boiler, whether it was the wrong fuel that went in or whatever, I don't know. But whatever stopped that boiler from working if you've then got to find up to potentially 10 times more than you would do for a fossil fuel equivalent, when you've already got a fossil fuel equivalent hanging in the wall, your occupancy of the building is much lower because there's no longer rural payment agency based here and all the rest of it, you're not really going to be yeah, motivated no. to try and <laughs> replace that biomass boiler. So, so looking at this, so just quickly, the Sibsy journal article from like 14 years ago so we've got a 48 kilowatt biomass boiler yeah it's going to do well depends on which paper you read 80 or 90 percent of the heat demand but when the bill opened, they were astonished at how low the heat demand was they said the biomass boiler went off for two days for some reason no one noticed yeah so they're saying that the, the heat demand in the building yeah. is very low so when you switch across to the gas it's probably the cost of running the building has probably been quite efficient. So time. I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here, but how we how we size biomass boilers is um, you guys you guys be well aware of this. We we don't size the biomass boilers to 100% of the peak load because that occurs so yes. infrequently yeah. that it's not. And hard to guess. Ever new build what it might be. Uh, exactly, but, but because of the insulation, because of the performance of the building, in theory, that those peaks are, are locked much lower than people expect, yeah. and in reality, we can get away with sizing it with a buffer tank and a boiler, and so so you, you would expect if they expected the biomass boiler to do eighty percent, then the reality comes in and it's a hundred percent. That's not a surprise to us if that's the way that it's been yeah. sized, because you would only size it on a yes. 70 or 80% of that peak load anyway, because those peak load durations are so small. So, John, I think looking at biomass at Rhinehouse, we knew the wind turbines had been problematic, and we thought the biomass had been problematic. Clearly has. Um, you think Ben and his company know they're wondering whether they can help solve it, but it sounds like it's difficult. It's quite easy to default to the gas. I think this this is the problem, isn't it? I thought it was a very interesting point that he was making about how they size the boilers. I mean, as you know, as a building services engineer, sizing of boilers is is quite an art and a, one of those things, yeah, and, as well as a science. But it's not. It seems to me that a few buildings that we've seen, this has been a, a common trait that they put big biomass in and a small boiler as a backup, and then when the biomass doesn't work, they found that the gas actually works fulfills the load and it's so easy to stay on the gas really whereas i mean i think yeah. this early biomass technology i think ben was mentioning that the the patent equipment now is very different uh, you know he's yes from the case studies they've recently put plant in looks looks a lot better well perhaps we should speak to defra people that look after the building a bit yes i've i've sent them a note okay uh, waiting waiting for a reply oh well perhaps we'll get on to them next okay yes
We'll see. Well, see you then. Bye. Bye.